0: right hello and uh welcome back to criterion deep dives um on this saturday february 6th uh i'm here with my good friend tyler lee hello tyler
1: hello mike and criterion daddy gang (laughs) uh
0: how, how are you doing this evening i'm doing well how are you i'm good i'm excited to uh finally have you on so Tyler wrote an article that was featured in the um the NBC News opinion section. Um it's titled Netflix's Hillbilly Elegy Turns My Community's Human Anguish into Oscar Bait. So this dominated the internet for several days. Uh you couldn't go on Twitter without um angry replies and people um just retweeting it with like 20 clapping emojis. This was the talk of the town. But anyways, Tyler wrote this op-ed, which was really cool to see about Hillbilly Elegy and basically about, you know, your experience growing up and how it relates to this film and and how you felt like um, the film maybe didn't do like the best job of portraying that. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you about that. And I also suggested, Hey, let's find like another movie on the criterion collection that can maybe uh, talk about Appalachian culture and like, some of these ideas in a more nuanced and interesting way than, um, this like Oscar Beatty film. So we also found a film, um, a, a pretty well-known documentary called Harlan County USA. And we're going to talk about that as well. Tyler, I think just to start, like, how did you first like, uh, learn about the Hillbilly Elegy film and, and like what inspired you to write this article?
1: So it, it's funny. I had never read the book um before like close to the movie had come out i had heard like you know it it came out in like 2016 so it was like very buzzy especially like after the election um where it was like well what what do uh poor white people really feel and that whole spiel um but i had never read it um and i had heard general rumblings of like everyone back home kind of hating it um but i think across the board outside of the area it was kind of like a uh uh especially like the uh like the, the white liberal, like, well, this is what's happening there. And like, we got to understand them and, and, and kind of just taking it all at face value. Um, and so I generally heard like bad critiques about it, but I didn't, I hadn't read it before. Have you, have you read it?
0: No, I haven't read it. And honestly, I feel like I kind of missed the buzz around that conversation. Um, but I totally get like, I, I think, I, I think like there's this idea or this thing that we've seen a thousand times of like, a New York Times podcast or article of like we went to the heart of of like Ohio to like learn what Trump voters really think and it's like like this idea of giving people all this airtime to like you know shout about all this nonsense but um yeah right so like trying to understand like how did this happen like how how did the 2016 election happen um hearing from people who did support trump and voted for trump and and so i think i i understand why that this book was like a popular thing to um to talk about so like you say back home like can you can you explain to people i mean a lot of people that are listening to this are our friends and will know but like can you talk a little bit about where you're from and like what what that is is in relation to the book hillbilly elegy
1: yeah. Um, so I'm from Nitro, West Virginia. Um it's a it's a it's a big hit that name, Nitro.
0: You know, like the milk stout. It's like it's exciting,
1: <laughs> right? It's like completely, yes. Yeah. Um it is a milk stout of a town. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's like a small town. I think it's um it's a couple thousand people, so it's not like teeny tiny, um, but you know, relatively small. It's like outside of Charleston, um, which is the capital and the biggest quote unquote city. Um in West Virginia. So it's probably like 30 minutes outside of Charleston, Southern West Virginia, all that. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to claim that I grew up in the, uh, in the minefields with the black lung by any means. Um, but it, it's still, you know, relatively, uh, exposed. And it's funny, uh, watching Harlan County. It was, I, I told you this via text, but like, I, I kind of got like a weird, like flashback of, Oh, I forgot I learned about this. Cause you know, you have, a whole like year of your history classes and like middle school or whatever are about, uh, your state. And so we had West Virginia history and so much of it was tied in with the, the whole experience of, of mines and, and strikes and labor unions and and stuff like that. So Harlan County, much better depiction of, I think how (laughs) Appalachians like, appreciate their own history and like how they've gotten there
0: or at least a more realistic depiction of of a real culture right like like regardless right. of the the positives or negatives because this the film isn't necessarily the rosiest picture in the world but right um it's a documentary so <laughs>
1: right and you know yeah. you, you got to give credit to the it, it it you can't necessarily draw two start uh comparisons between Hillbilly Elegy and, and, and Harlan County, just because, you know, Harlan County, I think it was 1976 is, yeah. is the year. Yeah. And I think she had spent like four years on it from what I read. So like early 70s, as compared to uh, J.D. Vance, who's the author of Hillbilly Elegy, I think he probably grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, so, yes. you know, it, it's a, that 20 years was a big difference um, for sure. It is. And they're
0: also different places. We're, we're talking about Kentucky versus Ohio versus you growing up in West Virginia. But once, once again, as you talk about in your article, like it's all encompassed in, in a region of the United States known as Appalachia. So there are similarities and there's similar stories in terms of like, um, in, in terms of the coal mining, right. Or in terms of, um, economic issues and different cultural issues, but maybe like we need to be cautious about lumping all of those things together.
1: That That's, I think what I should mention is that Hillbilly had such a bad reaction within Appalachia because he wasn't from there. And it, in general, one, he depicted himself as kind of uh, being like, he called himself Hill people and like talked about how Kentucky was his real home. And then you read the book and you find out he spent, summers summers there (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. until he was like 11 so like he didn't live there he wasn't from there um it's just like what he said and like granted like i'm not saying you can't identify with a place especially if it's somewhere that like you know your family's from or whatever but it's it's certainly like a it was a stretch for him to sell it as, and then also i guess the media to buy it up as like he's speaking for these people that are in appalachia which like he was in Northern Ohio at the time. So it was, it was pretty far removed. Like Appalachia is like a pretty big region, but Northern Ohio is, is kind of a stretch. Yeah, it's a to, stretch. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Although I don't know, um, man, like we, you know, we've both spent time in Cleveland. You get a little bit out of the city. It's like <laughs> how much different is the culture really? So, so can you talk a little bit about like, obviously like from the title of that article, like, you can tell you didn't have a positive reaction to it. Like, can you talk a little bit about just some of the points of like what rubbed you the wrong way about hillbilly elegy and, 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 and kind of like what it, what didn't work for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, that's, that was the, that was a concern of mine. Um, so so you, you asked earlier, like how this came about. Um, and it was basically like I had done some writing in law school. Um, I had taken some like legal writing as far as like, uh, I took some seminars with like, uh, one of my professors was like, is on the editorial board of like the New York Times and like some stuff like that. And so like, I took some classes on how you translate legal writing into like journalism and stuff like that. So basically, when I was studying for the bar over the summer, I was just like, writing op eds is just kind of like a, a means of like, keeping myself busy that wasn't like studying for the bar or or You know, just like spinning my wheels on other stuff. And I like writing and it's kind of like a a thing that I just like to do on the side. And so I sent out a few things and then I sent one out to the editor there at NBC and she said, well, I really need someone to write on this Hillbilly Elegy movie coming out. um, And it would be great to have someone from Appalachia. Like, would you do that? And I was super worried because I'm like, I I am not a film critic. (laughs) I like, I know nothing about like storytelling and and, and all that. Um, But I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I'll I'll give it a shot. Worst case scenario. I write something. It's horrible. They just don't run it. Um, And so in preparation for that is when I read the book. And so I went into the movie with just this horrid like background of the book is really bad as far as like. As far as not even just towards Appalachia, but it's it's clear that this guy is like a very conservative dude that that writes off a lot of other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the book is spent uh, like comparing how hard Appalachians have have had it towards like black people in America and, and things like that. And like I have a whole list of quotes um, actually right. like somewhere that I I got out uh, that I wrote down while I was reading the book where it was just like ridiculous things where basically the entire premise of the movie was like, or of the book was, look, white people can be poor too. But in the end, it's just their own fault. Just like it's everyone's own fault. And that's right. why like, I'm going to be honest, like I don't know had they made the greatest film of all time out of this, <laughs> like it's just like the Citizen Kane of Appalachia that I would have been able to like off an objective article on it
0: well here's my problem with the movie is that all of that stuff and all those topics whether a critique or a straight up sort of like take on it um it's all very political and it's all very interesting in some ways um but the movie the movie in my opinion completely avoids even touching on that stuff it's it's apolitical to a fault uh for me like you see obviously the the central struggle in this film is that the JD Vance character's mother is um, addicted to um, is it heroin? She starts like she's addicted to painkillers and she ends up doing harder drugs down the road. And yeah. he has to leave. Um, he has to like come home all of a sudden from Yale to go and take care of her because she is just OD. So there's something there that is real, right? Like, A problem with people in this country and especially in maybe the area that we're talking about as well as just different like economically disadvantaged areas where they where a lot of people do have a huge problem right now with like opiates and um and you know different drugs and and that is a real problem um but this movie doesn't even want to like touch on why that's an issue or it doesn't even want to touch on any of the issues or any of the reasons that People do have this like fixation on um, on Appalachia, so it just it kind of takes it all for granted and takes it as an assumption. And I think that that is really like a disingenuous way to touch on um, what are actually like real issues. You know what I mean?
1: That's the funny part is that I don't know how they thought they were going to be able to make a movie out of this that wasn't going to like be only streamed on like parlor or something because (laughs) at the end of the day like the book has so many quotes of just saying like it was her own fault and like people just make choices and i don't know why everyone's blaming uh corporations and stuff like that and so how do you make a movie out of those experiences while also saying like she should have just done better right Um, right like no one, that would not be consumed in mass media. And so that's why it, it felt so watered down, I think.
0: And I think that's such a weird idea even talking about like corporations and stuff like in small town America, because like for me, obviously I live in a big city, but when I've been in smaller parts of the country or even like interacted with people, it's just like not as much a part of life, like thinking about like large corporations, you know, like in small town America, you have smaller businesses you have like, you have more rural communities. You have more rural workers and stuff like that. So like, I don't. I it, it once again like that seems out of touch on his part to even um, like approach that as a topic. Um, I will say that I the one thing that like I did like or I don't know if I liked about the movie, but like one redeeming quality is I I thought Glenn Close was pretty good in this movie. Like I thought she had some nuance to her performance. Like, I love Amy Adams, but she just kind of screamed and just acted yeah. crazy. Like, Glenn Close, at least, I thought, she had this cool aspect to her character where where she seemed like a, um, like a bit of a caricature at first, but then, like, as you got to know her a little bit more and as she tried to rescue the J.D. Vance character, you saw that she, and this is what I wish there was more of, like, she, while not blaming people around her, she was like, look you have to you have to be on your best behavior and you have to like work hard to have a better future for yourself and she really like set him straight and like wouldn't let him hang out with um the friends that were getting him in trouble and i think that like that's something that no matter where it is or what we're talking about like there's always those stories of like people in high school hanging out with the wrong crowd and literally just needing to like not get not end up getting like arrested for drugs or something you know like that's an issue everywhere. So, um, I thought that I thought she was pretty good and like had some nuance to her. Um, I mean, she didn't have a lot to work with in terms of the script. Like, I don't know what the <laughs> hell the whole like good Terminator, bad Terminator thing was in this movie, <laughs> but like, um, she did her best. Um, and you know, she's great. She's she's just out there still trying to get that that Oscar. Both of them, <laughs> both both her and Amy Adams are just like what do we have to do like how much weight do we have to put on for a role how crazy do we have to get like just give us this oscar um so (laughs) i don't blame them for you know ending up in this situation but um she glenn close was pretty good um i think a big part of it is that i didn't think either the jd vance actors were (laughs) were good at all like especially i thought the young one wasn't bad yeah, the, the young o- one the wasn't one bad. The, o- yeah. the old one was was pretty rough. Like I didn't have any like empathy for him, you know. Um I'm kind of curious how many like how many people have actually watched this movie? Because I felt like this is like this movie came out and it was like a big like sort of uh um like articles like yours distilled into like Twitter form of just people like taking down this movie and, and complaining about it. And I know for me, like th- this is something that typically I would not watch. I, I, I basically watched it just because I knew we were going to talk about it. Um, so like, I don't know. Do you have a sense that this is something that like people in your circle or people, you know, have, have watched this movie?
1: Well, that, that is the funny part. So I think what happened was like the, the way that this got made just realistically speaking is that I read when I was, I was like doing some background research on it that, it was either Ron Howard or like his production company or, or whomever like bought the rights to the book, like right at at its like height in like right. 2017. And so, you know, when you buy the rights to a book, that's a massive bestseller directors are just going to yeah. assume like, Oh, this'll be, you know, fly to the moon successful. Um, and then what happened was since 2017, there's been a more thorough examination of, what is this guy actually saying? How much of it is actually bullshit? And sorry, is this a family-friendly podcast? Am I Not at all. Am I going to get bleeped?
0: <laughs> um, In fact, it's not family-friendly. It's I oh, specifically okay. tell families to avoid this podcast. Like, <laughs> like don't sit around with your family by the fire and just turn your radio dial to Criterion Deep Dives. I strongly advise against that.
1: It, it goes, uh, call her daddy, and then Criterion Deep Dives <laughs> is like most hated by mom's podcast
0: yes exactly we're here to talk about cinema uh, what, a, <laughs> what a liberal evil
1: <laughs> um but yeah uh, what i was saying is i i completely agree like i actually really liked glenn close um and i i i think that what happened was and i kind of touched on this in the in that article is that like i think that amy adams and glenn close one saw this as like finally like this is this is gonna be it for me like yeah this this is how it happens as far as oscars go and then i think it's it's a little bit of like that that like naive like white liberal like out of touch type of situation where they thought that they were telling a genuine story and just taking it at face value um and so you you read this story hollywood
0: elite (laughs) yeah i
1: don't i i don't want to use that phrase um (laughs) I'll use it. I'll use it. just don't want that on tape. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, they, they they seem to, I'm sure that they had the best intentions, especially politically, how it goes is like, I've only heard, you know, of them trying to do the right thing as far as that type of yeah, thing goes. Yeah. But it just, it, it felt like a shallow attempt is what happened is that, so between the rele- the release of the book and buying the rights and then... They start releasing trailers for this and people are just like, what are you doing? Um, and funny enough is that I didn't I didn't have early access, which it seems as though every other publication gave early access, but I didn't. <laughs> so I woke up at four in the morning um, because it got released at 3 a.m. And so I woke up at four in the morning to watch it and it had already been destroyed by the early release critics so much so that I couldn't find it on Netflix's like, front page
0: oh i know they didn't they didn't promote it at all i thought it was hilarious like yeah they
1: they very clearly buried this because they knew that it was just going nowhere which was hilarious and 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 since then like i i actually i don't know of anyone that's that's watched the movie that that has told me they've watched the movie at least
0: when was it made available on netflix uh
1: it was the it was like uh, november 20 something 24th
0: Maybe. Okay, because this article is published on uh, November twenty fourth, so I was just trying to figure out what kind of uh, turnaround you had in terms of. Oh yeah, watching the film <laughs> and like filling in the blank spots, and you're already in <laughs> your in your article of like, oh yeah, this is actually she actually yes she actually was bad. Yep, yep.
1: Well, that's like, it, I I like <laughs> I had a few ideas of what I was gonna say, but I that's why I w- woke up at four a.m. where I was like, All right, I have I have to watch this movie, which is a very long two hours and then write it before i have to do my actual job um and that's why i got up so early um and yeah i i I, it was funny i didn't think it was gonna get posted because i was just like i think i'm just like sleep deprived and i don't know if any of this makes sense but
0: no it's a very like it it makes sense too i think in terms of like why they would want the article and like your, your specific background. And and, it's, it it seems like a, it seems like a take that they wanted to publish somehow. And they just had to find like the right person who was, who was going to articulate it for them. So um,
1: give us any West Virginian that that can say more than four (laughs) words.
0: Is there any West Virginian in New York? Is there (laughs) any? So I, I think like before, like before moving off this film, I just wanted to pose like one last question about, kind of the movie and just in terms of like um this is kind of like a book club discussion question but like d- like the lesson that he takes away in the end of the film is kind of like how like family is the most important thing like you always like like he needs to take care of his mom and he needs to take care of his family like regardless of the cost and it's like pitted against these job interviews that he's supposed to have with like these people that are supposedly out of touch and like judge him for his heritage and stuff but um the thing that I was wondering is like, does he actually learn the right lesson? Like to me, family isn't everything. If family makes re- repeated attempts to like bring you down and to sabotage your life after you've like attempted to help people, and I that that part of it too like rang really hollow to me. So like, I don't know. Do, do you feel like he? Do you feel like he actually like learns the right lesson, or is this is this really um, misguided?
1: Wow, I wish I had studied in advance. Um, (laughs) No, I I, I see what you're saying. And, like, I I completely agree. I think it's very much a cultural thing where, like, I've even had that in my own family. Like, not me in particular, but I've seen family members be dragged down by their family. um, And just, like, that, like, steadfast um, loyalty can be a little toxic. And I I, I guess, yeah, I, I definitely agree that, like, he it tries to make a cut and dry lesson out of a very difficult and like nuanced situation, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, to be fair, like I, I also, I look, I've also shit on the, the book and the movie a lot, but I, I related to a lot of the stuff as far as like when he was in law school and you know, you don't know which fork to use and, yeah. and people make jokes about where you're from and, and, and you feel like you're in a different world. And so it can be very jarring and I think what happens there is often you can have a few different reactions. One of them, and arguably the easiest, being, I guess, bitter at at the situation that you're placed in. And just saying, like, well, they're the bad people. And I guess I just learned that I just need to stick with my own people, my family, where I'm from, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of where they took that. Um, and especially, like, him it, it kind of gives him the moral high ground and it kind of gives, gives a, like. it's also the easiest story to tell, especially like in movie form where, where, you know, it's easy to make the rich lawyers in at Yale, the bad guys, because they're, they have this poor impression of people, which is just right. honestly perpetuated by things like that book. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say my takeaway honestly is that it's, I agree that he took away the wrong lesson. Um, I think my biggest problem with it is is they tried to oversimplify a very nuanced situation. I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely for sure. But you
1: gotta you gotta make time in the story for Terminator references. So like, you gotta make some cuts.
0: <laughs> Let's take a quick break and then we'll we'll talk about Harley. <laughs> The second film that I signed to you uh, was Harlan <laughs> County, USA. Um, it's a documentary film from the from 1976. Uh, it covers events from about 1972 to 1976, um, and it's it's a it's about uh, Harlan, Kentucky or Harlan County, Kentucky, um, which is somewhat near you know West Virginia, but it's it's in Appalachia. It's uh, it's like eastern eastern edge of Kentucky, like kind of near the Tennessee border as well, it looks like. Um, and this is a documentary about uh, uh, miners strike, uh, uh, coal miners going on strike and um, everything that happens with that. So um, I don't remember where I first heard about this documentary, but I knew it existed. And when we were talking about this, I was like, oh, that might be a cool movie to check out. It's one I've been wanting to watch anyways. And I think it it kind of touches on um, some similar topics. Uh, I was not prepared for, um, the, I don't know how I'd put it. The, um, raw nature of this documentary and how intense it was. Um, I was immediately drawn in. It was, I was, for some reason I was thinking something a little bit older and calmer. And it is, um, it's one of the more like action packed documentaries I think I've ever seen. Um, I think one thing I want to talk about first was just the the filmmaking style. You know, this is something that is shot kind of verite. I don't know the exact term, but it might be like cinema verite in the sense that it is like, it feels very natural. There's not a lot of like formal sit down interviews in this. And there's no sort of like voiceover or any other sort of like, there's no music. Like there is, sorry, there is music, but it, it's not done in this sort of like dramatic way. They're more as like transitional elements. So everything that's happening, you feel like you're right there because it's done in this way that is like very close to reality. Um, I was curious, like watching this, did, did this type of filmmaking style, like remind you of anything in particular, whether it's like TV movies and did anything come to mind when you were, when you started watching this?
1: Uh, I don't, I don't really know. And it's funny because I was thinking about it. And honestly, the chances that I've seen at least like clips of this, like, when I was younger, like in school or something, is or, or pretty high, honestly. Like, yeah, because it seems at least like I I was reading a little bit about a background on it and whatnot, and it was like a fairly successful film. So, um, I I don't know if I would say that it, it reminds me of anything, um, because like you said, like there's nothing. I think I really enjoyed the substance, but the format a little bit, and granted, I think this might be a little particular to me. I'm horrendous at like paying attention to movies and like <laughs> following things. Um, I, told I don't you know this. if that's like particular.
0: I, I don't know if it's particular to you, man. I think it's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a problem in our in society right now with uh, with streaming culture. I, I think it's a thing.
1: Yeah, I mean like I, I will be completely honest. Like when I watch movies, I will watch like everything with explosions in it and, and, and that type <laughs> of thing. Very just like simplistic plots. Um, okay. so I did I, I, I won't even I won't lie that I had a little bit of time, a hard time following it, I guess. I also I, I subtitles on everything. And there were yeah. subtitles available on this, which I found. Were there? Yeah, there were.
0: There were. Yeah, I watched the subtitles.
1: <laughs> Damn it! I That's... couldn't find them on the. I, I was using like the app on my TV. They had a. They have a Criterion app for. Oh, okay. Whatever yeah. brand TV I had, and I couldn't find it. Like it just. And I looked it up, and like Criterion was like.
0: Yeah, they might not be be available on all. Yeah.
1: Um, So I I just assumed that there weren't any, but there are mind. some
0: movies where I haven't been able to watch with subtitles. But this one I did watch with subtitles, and it did it did help, especially in like learning some of the people's names and stuff. You're yeah. right. It's it's really fast paced because it's it's a lot of scenes of people whether they're out in a, whether they're out on the picket line or they're in some sort of like community hall organizing and giving speeches. It's really fast paced. It's people speaking with emotion. Um, and there, they have accents as well. I mean, I didn't feel like the accents were too much of a stumbling block for me, but, but they're, they're fairly thick accents. So there is an element of just, you know, trying to consume all of that information and it moves from one scene to the next really quickly. I mean, this, this movie is an hour, 45 minutes and it is pretty sprawling. in the not only the topics that it covers, but like the number of years and events that it, that it covers, um, it's, it's it's a lot. So, um yeah, I you know I I think like one thing about this I was going to say that like did you happen to see um a year or two ago the documentary American Factory? No. So that was this was like the Obamas' first like big movie with as like a part of their Netflix deal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually pretty sure it won best documentary at the Oscars. As as did uh, Harlan County in 1976. It won. The oh, Oscar. I didn't see that for best documentary Um, American factory is a movie that also uh, that takes place in Ohio at a factory um, that is owned by a Chinese company. um, And they are opening a factory in Ohio and um, a lot of Chinese workers come over and there's like a clash of cultures, obviously, but a big part of the plot in the second half of that documentary is, um, is the efforts to form a union as well as the company's efforts to Put that union down. So, um, it was really reminiscent of that for me. Definitely a different style. And this is something that I think I'll probably keep talking about. But, like, um, this movie is so. If I just told you, hey, I watched a documentary on the streaming service this weekend, like, this is not what you would imagine. Like, we, I do think people today watch a lot of documentaries and there's tons of documentaries available, but they're all very sort of like. There's so many documentaries on Netflix that are so loosely like films in my mind, like there's stuff that I feel like is like somebody sitting around in a boardroom and there's like, Hey, here's a topic that I just read an article about. Like, let's get a couple like cameramen out and interview this person who did the thing. And then they create like a whole docu series on it. And it's like, Oh, like, and obviously they do a good job with those, but that's a very different approach from someone like this director, Barbara Koppel, um, embedding herself Directly in this community for like four years and getting to know her subjects and filming, um, in with real people in real time, you know, these events. And it's kind of incredible to me, um, some of the footage that they were able to get because it really follows the story. Well, like you never feel like there's a moment where it's like, Oh, they are talking about this thing that didn't happen and, and like she's always there with the camera you're always seeing what's happening. And that it definitely leads to some incredible footage, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the like points of, you know, I guess magic for this, this documentary is that from what I read, and then I read it as I was watching it. So I read that she didn't go in with a plan for this movie. She had, she had something else planned as related to, to union. I think or she was like she was
0: interested in the transition from the prior union boss, uh whose name I believe was Tony Boyle. Um yeah. and he was the union president of the United Mine Workers Association from nineteen sixty two to nineteen seventy two. And I I have somewhere who the next president is um but part of the controversy was the fact that um there's a guy, first name I'm forgetting, but his last name is Yablonski, and he was the challenger for the president in 1970, and he was unsuccessful. He lost, but later that year, um, him, his wife, and his daughter were all shot dead, murdered in their house. And later, Tony Boyle was convicted of this murder. They it was it was part of this sort of like union mob <laughs> uh, environment that actually had him assassinated. So. Um, that I think was her initial interest in the project, but then this strike started and she, uh, she got involved in the, in the strike.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was very raw in that. I don't think she had a, well, obviously she didn't have a plan for it. And I think that that is like a super unique take on a documentary where you're just kind of, it, it almost feels like like a wartime documentary, you know what I mean? Where, where you go in and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what people are going to say. There's no scripting and it could end up a variety of ways. And so I do think that that was a very cool element of like, it was kind of just a timeline more than, more than anything where she was just kind of following where, wherever this led and she had no idea where it would. Um, And it also, you know, growing up in West Virginia, you we read so much about how important unions are and like how powerful they were, as well as you know, it, it was kind of like a uh, like a crime family almost at at, at certain points. And yeah. so, documenting a family being murdered because they challenged a union boss is is wild, and it it, it fits into that.
0: Yeah, definitely. That that was like another movie that came to mind for me watching this was just the Irishman and, and Jimmy Hoffa and um sort of like, once again, thinking about unions and the the crime element of that, which I think is like an interesting thing to talk about politically and something that maybe this film leaves out. Like, like if you wanted to critique this film, you could say it's a little one-sided. um I mean, I think she picked the right side, but like, I, I do think like there is an element of like, There there is something to talk about about like the people that get wrapped up in the in the unions, like sometimes it it gets to this point, I think, like, at least in this movie, where the things they're fighting for have like gone beyond their initial goals. And maybe that's fine, right? Because it becomes it becomes something that's bigger than maybe work in itself. And it's like what this movie like reveals or unveils to me is just like this idea that i think is so foundational is just like people deserve dignity in their lives like however you're getting at whatever work you have to do like giving people the opportunity to live with dignity is 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 really everything we need to fight for as a society and um obviously like the the profession of mining and th- this is kind of how they start the film out is just sort of like not only are these people being underpaid, but the the conditions are extremely dangerous. And this was crucial, I think, that they start the film with shots and in, in footage from actually inside the mines. Um, the cinematographer in a little featurette on the side talked about how you know, they were shooting all this thing. And he was like, we're making this movie about coal miners and we don't have any footage of the mines. So he went in and, and got that, which... I, I thought that was like incredible footage too, because once again, like, that's not something that you can really have a camera crew down there. It's like, you're just like, Hey, look, I'm going to put this camera on your, on your cart here. And like, we're going to see what it looks like down here in the dark. So, um, so, you know, I, I think like we're, we're looking at a profession that's extremely dangerous later in the film, we spend a little bit of time at this, um, like black lung association, or it's like an Institute where they treat black lung and they talk about how many of these minors have suffered from black lung and um, how much of an issue it is. And I was reading a little bit about it and it's just one of these things where it's like, it's like, yeah, this is just bound to happen to anyone working in that environment. So to me it feels like something similar to like smoking cigarettes. You're just like, yeah, that's going to, that's going to affect you. And yet it's a huge industry and it's something that like the people in charge are the people who have that power and maybe don't necessarily care about because one, they're getting rich off of it. But two, as we see later, and I think what was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, when they go up to New York city and he's chatting with the policeman like we hear a little bit of that importance too, of the industry, at least at this time period, he's like all of this, all this electricity here in New York, it's because of us. Like we're, we're powering that there obviously is a need for energy in some sort to give us electricity. And that's kind of like, that kind of shows the vitality of the coal mining industry as well as the reason that there probably are as many strikes as there are. Because the people who are doing this work know that the work they're providing is really important to the rest of the country. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, it's it's funny because even now I can go home and I always grew up with with the slogan is coal keeps the light on or keep, okay. coal keeps the lights on. Um, and it, it it was wild. It sounds like a
0: wartime like a like a loose lift sink shifts or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean there are billboards, there are bumper stickers, it's it's everywhere and it's wild because I didn't fully appreciate it and until I moved to Ohio um, and I you know, I'm out of coal area and I realized that like the way that other people grow up with And granted, we also had this, but like grow up with like revering cops and like firemen. Coal miners were treated the same way with that level of like we owe them this and and it's it's a level of respect. And I think that's why I think that's one of the reasons why coal is still like an untouchable, untouchable industry um, within the region, as well as you know, the power that the labor unions no longer really have, but they, that they used to have, it was just so intertwined in people's lives. Right. And the fact that they could quite literally get away with murder.
0: I think that unions were bigger in American life at large in the, in this time period in the sixties and seventies. Um, and it's funny that you say that too, about like sort of this, um, this pride that goes into the coal mining, like the coal families or whatever. I know that that comes up, Briefly in Hillbilly Elegy, where I think they're at that dinner, and they ask one of the first things they ask him when he says he's from West Virginia is, or when he's from where he's from, um is like, oh, you or you come from a coal family or whatever, and it's like it is it is like this sort of idea like this family crest, right, or like you like you you mentioned with like uh, a police policeman or whatever, and it's just like yeah, my. You, you know, you'll hear from someone who is like, yeah, my father was a policeman. My grandfather was a policeman. And it, it is that like lineage passed down. And it's so interesting, too, because like there's a really key scene in this movie where you actually see the sheriff of the town for the first time. And like the police are notably very absent from this movie. So I do think you're right that in this community in particular, like the, the coal, the miners are even like more important culturally, maybe than the police, like the sheriff, it's kind of shocking to see the sheriff. Like he, he does not have the power in that situation between um, what's her name, Lois and the negotiation between Lois and the, uh, the union buster uh, Basil Collins um, when they're all, they're basically at war. Like they, they have a ton of gun I, once. This is just like incredible footage. You know what I mean? They, have all these cards like barricaded up they're blocking the road and all all of the people there um, from the union just have guns out just you guys aren't getting through like they're preventing the scabs from getting through i mean that's like a lot of this movie too is just scenes of them at the picket line trying to prevent cars to get through seeing the union busters brandishing weapons and you know, figuring out their next move to try to like keep this strike going. And it's, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because even like watching it in this movie was such an odd experience because it's, it, it felt now so antiquated. And so like, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but like, I remember growing up and like hearing about scabs and like, that's like the, the, the people you don't respect. And like, they, they undermine
0: everything. And, were you and hearing whatnot. this from like were you hearing this from like family or like friends or like Yeah, yeah, everyone. Just... I
1: mean, it was it was like ingrained in the culture. And so yeah. anytime it's far less common now because weirdly enough and like there's so many other reasons behind this. Um I'll save it for Pod Save America, but <laughs> um but but you know, even somewhere as blue-collar as West Virginia has become increasingly anti-union. But at least when I, you know, as recent as when I was growing up in the nineties, early two thousands, like that was the like ultimate, like you have to respect the like right of organization and strikes and things like that.
0: I don't know how many times the Chicago teacher union has gone on strike since I've lived here. They're in the middle of a, um, they're in the middle of a long one right now, getting, getting uh, the teachers back to school, basically, for similar reasons right for safety concerns they're they're concerned about being forced to go back to teach in person at the moment and um yeah it's happened a lot i mean there's been a lot of different uh teacher strikes in the past couple of years here in chicago so like that's my that's my closest the closest thing that i can relate to personally and i don't i personally don't even know like teachers in chicago like i don't have anyone that i know that's like in there but it's definitely something i pay attention to in the news and so the idea of unions, I mean, they're still, they're still important in my opinion, obviously to like get that, to, to get rights for workers, especially in specific scenarios. Um, we've also seen like a lot of uh rise in unions in like the journalism industry for different, um, you know, uh, newspapers and, and publications and stuff like that. Um, which also seems to be pretty important, um, but yeah, you know it, there is nuance to it. like this this film um, this film obviously has like a pretty one-sided view. Um, and th- there's I think there's nuance to the idea of like what unions do and especially like the crime that was happening. And also like also once again, like a, obviously like the stereotype of West Virginia is the is like the Hatfields and McCoys and and that sort of like these long like feuding families. And there is something, there was something unsettling to me about watching what was essentially like a showdown happening in the streets between these people who are all, all, they're, they're fighting the wrong people. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah, it, it's, it's like everyone is being hurt by, by something here and you're fighting each other. So, um, just like, so much more nuanced and so much more interesting things to talk about than what hillbilly elegy even attempts to, to touch on. But it's funny too, because like I just going back to that scene in New York, which I thought was so interesting because like that to me is, is like so much more indicative of this like idea of like getting to know people. And it's like, you have the New York cop talking to the, um, the coal miner. And I think that it's like this type of thing where it's like, Hey, we actually do have more in common than we, than we think. Um, And it is this like clash of cultures. And, and personally, that is what I found when I talk to somebody who is, is different than me or comes from a different background that you, you do get to that, that type of area of like, we have more in common than we think. And, This is like a much broader political conversation, but it does it does speak to sort of like the political allegiances we have versus just like how are we improving each other's lives? You know what I mean? And that's like that's what everything comes back to in this film is like you see later on at the very near the end of the film when they actually win the contract and they talk to that older employee and she's like. She's like, hey, are you are you happy about the contract that you've been given? And he's like, I don't know. I hate going back to work. Like, I hate I hate it. I just have to do it, and I can't retire. And and it's like, yeah, even for all of this, all of the effort that went into winning this contract, um, people still have to go back to work. They still have to expose themselves to dangerous conditions, to black lung, um, to something that is harmful to the environment. Like, there's so many issues here. You know what I mean? But. Um, it, it it's all there. It's all right there in this movie for you,
1: right? Fully. I mean, I think it's you
0: know, like you
1: said, it's it's a broader political discussion, but I think it's it's a microcosm of discussing where interests lie versus where they're perceived. And so you you one, it's it's difficult because as you noted, like it's a little one sided, but it was also a, a difficult situation because there's a bad guy in the film, but there's a also a bad er guy in that like the union is the bad guy, but then there's the coal company so like where do right. you how, how, how do you position yourself there um, but but it's it speaks to a broader issue of, of you know I guess and I don't want to get too philosophical here um, no, but please I guess do. in a society um, kind of tearing itself apart from the lower rungs where there are so many shared interests of it's, it's, it's very much people that are anti-union that are blue collar, like that type of thing. Um, Yeah. Which is, is very prevalent now because they're struggling to hang on to, to industries like coal Um, because it's these unions that granted, you know, granted as you've seen in this movie have done some pretty terrible thing. Like, Horrendous things in the past. Mm-hmm. It's it's evil, or it's easier to demonize the union than it is the industry. And so you just, right. especially when the industry is is paying your bills, and there's and pride you, in it, tra- like we talked about. Like there's right.
0: pride in that industry because it is like it's part of your identity. It's part of your heritage or whatever. So people don't want to lose that, you know?
1: Right, absolutely, and especially you know, jobs are just automatically going away and you have to find someone to blame that on. And, and you can blame it on the industry itself, who you are dependent upon, or you can blame it on the union who is just the easier scapegoat there. So when more and more people are laid off just because of the nature of coal manufacturing or mining, um, just needs less people because you know instead of going into a mine now, we're just blowing up mountains and making it easier. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know. Which which takes far fewer people. It's it's easier to just say, oh, well, the 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 unions just demanded too much, and that's why they're laying us off. And right. so it's just so difficult to watch.
0: So there's a brief aside in this film that is irrelevant, but they talk about. The Mannington Mine Disaster in West Virginia was that something that you were aware of growing up? Um, I'm gonna be honest. There are so many mine
1: disasters that <laughs> I should like laugh, you I'm literally. Sorry. No, I mean it's it's true. <laughs> like it it uh it's insane. Even uh, this reminded me that I, I forgot about this. Um, I don't know if you ever saw October Sky, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal. He was super young.
0: No, I know it though.
1: Um. Yeah, it was it was based off a book called Rocket Boys, um, which we which I understand why they changed that name for the film. Terrible name, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it was based off of Homer Hickam, was his name. I remember that um, explicitly. Okay. Um, who grew up in a coal town where it was like owned by the mining company. It was a company town, um, and eventually, like became like a scientist or an astronaut. I don't really remember how he ended up. Um, but I remember in the sixth grade, we were supposed to go visit um, the the company town, which is now, like, a museum, essentially. Um, and we didn't because there was a mining disaster not far from there, like, the week before we were supposed to go visit it. Oh, wow. And it was just, like, such a, like such a a stark reminder of like oh we like visit these company towns where these poor people were exploited and blah blah blah, and then
0: it's still happening today
1: right i it's it's far less i wouldn't say far less but you know it's it still happens it's it's less frequent but i mean even i don't know if you know anything about um the sago mine disaster but that was in i don't know if that one yeah it was in west virginia actually um Basically it was, it happened in the early 2010s and, you know, tons of people died, all of that. And then they found out that it was just this guy that had uh, the, a CEO had just like told them to just, you know, ignore regulations and things like that. And this yeah. guy spent like six months in jail for like a dozen people dying. And, yeah. and yeah. now he, he, he's tried to like start a career in politics. Um And it's, he's, Got a decent shot because people just have such a such a short memory. But these types of disasters are just such commonplace occurrences um, that people are just willing to forget them.
0: This it sounds like uh, there were um, about eighty miners trapped. Four only four of them got out. Seventy eight were, were trapped in this Mannington mine disaster, and they uh, they basically i and i didn't quite understand the reasoning behind this but like after the initial explosion after a certain amount of time of trying to rescue people they just had to like they had to seal it out they had to seal it off or whatever so um they had to do a second explosion which basically guaranteed that that all these trapped miners would die and uh this is another point about the movie which is really interesting to me is that like we, we talked about the sort of lack of music but there is music throughout and it's actually a bunch of folk songs that were uh, maybe like, um, some of these are like traditional folk melodies or like folk songs that are taken and the lyrics are altered, but they actually wrote these songs like specifically for this movie and like incorporated people's names, like, like Tony Boyle and Yablonski and, and Basil Collins and stuff like that. And like talked about like, we got to go up to New York city. <laughs> I thought this was really cool. I mean, not only do I love, uh I love, like, folk music. Like, I love Bob Dylan, and, like, he he used a lot of these melodies as well. Um, But it's really, it, like, you can be in the middle of this, like, really political conversation in this movie, and then it, like, takes you back to this music, and it's really emotional, and I think it, like, it keeps things centered on that, like, emotional core. Um, And they do, there's a moment in this when they talk about that, and they they actually, they, they basically say something along the lines of, like, 78 miners were like killed were um like buried alive or whatever so um you know it's it 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 stays true to like sort of the message of these unions and in terms of like what they're fighting for you know
1: yeah i um the the music was probably like arguably my favorite part of the movie um because you know it it showed some of these people singing and and actually making music themselves um but it felt real um and i i think it was important because a lot of this uh, documentaries of this type can verge on poverty porn really easily where you're just like you look at these people and you're like you're living without running water like this is disgusting like you're just like on there's a different world and i think yeah. incorporating a level of they have their own culture and like they exist as real humans is is such an important part to not make it exploitative um that i i i thought it was really great honestly
0: part of what keeps it from feeling that way at least for me is is the character the cast of characters themselves um, and specifically the women in this film. Um, and that's like a key part of it too, is this um, is what happens is a lot of the um, sisters and, and spouses and mothers of these minors basically figure out like, well, there's only in their current, in their current contract or something like that, they're only allowed a certain number of pickets or whatever. And they through a, a handy piece of legal maneuvering are like, well, it doesn't say anything about people's wives or, women in general. And so the women actually formed this in some ways, maybe even stronger coalition that, that fights for uh, the picket line and fights for the union. And um, a couple of the women are like standouts and they become leaders in this. There's like, like I mentioned Lois before she's um, she's one of the very outspoken women. Um, there's also um, her name, I believe is Sudi Cruisenberry and she's she becomes the president of whatever, which also
1: happens to be my drag name.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Major inspiration from this film. <laughs> um, uh, she becomes the president of this union, but she has this she has this awesome moment where she kind of breaks up a fight, and she's just like, because they're talking about they're, the the women are becoming a little catty and talking about like you're going after my man and blah 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 whatever. She's like, I don't care about my man. Like anybody can <laughs> have him. They can take him. I'm. She's like, I'm fighting for a contract. I have two boys to raise. And everyone like starts applauding. And it's just like these these people are 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 very memorable to me. And I think, and like have these huge outsized personalities in these moments. And I think like you see you see their humanity. It it doesn't it I never I did while I did feel bad for people, I felt like inspired in some ways because I felt like they were fighting for really good things and once again for this idea of like dignity and decency like i never like we do see the one scene at the beginning with the woman uh bathing her child in in just a pot in you know lukewarm water and talking about how like the union needs to win so they can get hot running water but um outside of that i don't see i don't feel like there was a lot of that sort of like you said poverty porn you know what i mean yeah yeah totally and and even that i mean i think
1: yeah, yeah, it's it's a fine line between like showing reality reality and poverty porn, but I think it's important to to show that you know this was nineteen seventy six. This wasn't nineteen twenty four or something like that. Like right. there were still lots of people without running water and, and whatnot. Um, and I think it's it's important to show that. Uh, but further to your to your point about the women that were at the forefront of it, I think it was so obvious that this. This was made and directed by a woman because it's only started recently where things like major movements, like civil rights movements, and you know, it's very you could very (laughs) easily argue that this is about the civil rights movement. Um, yeah, that they show the women that were quote unquote standing behind the men. And so, like, there's there, there's so much to say about, like, people like Coretta Scott King behind Martin Luther King, but, like, continued to do the work for 40 years after he died and, and things right. like that. And so that, for me especially, I appreciated and I was I, I was thinking, like, oh, this was so clearly made by a woman because if it was made by a man, the, the chances of him kind of just, like, passing by this person – um. That is just like, well, I'm not a minor, but I'm a, what was her quote? I'm as close as a minor as you can be yes, without being yes. one. Yes. Yeah, she's um, amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that was Lois. Yeah, yeah I I thought um, I or no, that I was actually the Florence. I, I think that was the Florence Reese woman who wrote the "Whose Side Are You On" song, which which is played several times throughout the film, and it was oh, actually okay. it was actually like a popular folk song that was. Um, uh, played by a lot of folk artists, like covered by a lot of folk artists. Um, I know one uh, one like famous example is Pete Seeger. And that actually brings me to another point that I wanted to talk about is sort of like this idea of history repeating itself because they referenced the violence of the 30s so much. And they basically had the exact same situation happen uh, 40 years e- earlier in, in the 30s. And that's when this woman, Florence Reese, wrote this song. Um, and they had a... And they always talk, they they talked about like how bloody and how brutal it was, this strike and and everything and how they're trying to prevent that, the violence of the 30s. But it's interesting, right? Because that's like about a period of 40 years. And I was reading too about just two years ago in Harlan County, there was a pretty notable instance of um, this Black Jewel company that went bankrupt and they were attempting to remove coal from their... um, from their, you know, from their minds in, in Harlan County. And they actually, the workers actually held this train up and it was a big political moment. Um, and this was just in 2019, um, once again, like a period of 40 years. So it's, it is this weird sort of like cyclical thing when you think about generations passing things down and, and it does like, for me, once again, I think with like the urgency of climate change and the urgency of obviously population growth and energy and, and, The importance of labor in a changing world is just sort of like will will this continue you know what i mean like 40 years from now are we gonna still be are we still gonna be talking about the same things or is a place like appalachia primed for um an economic revival based around clean energy or around tech or something like you know what i mean like that that is that that is like one of these things where it's like you have this strong labor force that is built on tradition and I think can like easily transition to something new and productive if if opportunity strikes in the right way. You know what I mean?
1: Right, completely. I mean that's and, and to to the point about the 30s is it's funny because I watched this and it was interesting because I'd never like my basis of coal and coal unions and whatnot. Like really, what we learned about in school was about the strikes in the '30s and the '40s, um, like Depression era, because that was where you know uh, it was funny actually. Um, like in Hillbilly Elegy, he talks about how offensive the word redneck is. Um, yeah. They prefer like hillbilly, whereas <laughs> in West Virginia, like they like kind of proudly identify as rednecks because it comes from wearing a red bandana around your neck during a pro- during a strike. And right. so it, it, it's sort of like a mark of pride. And so like they, they have no problem with that a little bit. Um, and so right. all of my, all of my like knowledge, I guess is about 1930 strikes. And even to your point, you mentioned earlier that you, you thought it was funny that the police clearly had no power here. Um, which was kind of an improvement because in the thirties, the police were working for the coal companies. So all of the violence was inflicted by the police onto the strikers. And so it's, it's almost like an improvement that it, at least it's like hired thugs shooting people rather than, (laughs) rather than the state police.
0: Yeah. And it seemed like in this movie, or at least the implication from the, from the union um, workers was that uh, the police were working or at least in the in the pocket of big coal but in this movie at least seem to be standing on the sidelines a bit um right which is just fascinating like when you see this stuff play out when there is no when there's no authority it's you know it it is kind of a miracle and it's interesting like one of the key things that kept coming up like reading interviews or actually seeing some some of the supplemental material for this movie as well is that like the director barbara barbara copel um or coppel she talked about how she felt like having the cameras there actually helped curb the violence um and that she actually sometimes would just run pretend to run the cameras even if she ran out of film because she <laughs> she knew that she was having an impact but of course she was directly involved she gets attacked in this film and it ha- you see it on camera so um it's it's very raw. And I think that like brings me to my final point, which is just like, I, well, I think I've mentioned this kind of already. And like, there's a lot of cool documentaries and stuff on like Netflix or other, you know, streaming services. But like, I don't know if we can handle a modern, a modern version of this film. Like, like if like for, you know, by all accounts, there should be a documentary this up close and personal about like the black lives matter movement. And um, I just don't know how something like that would play because this is like, this is all very real and I'm sure it felt dangerous at the time, but like even today, this movie feels extremely like dangerous to me um, versus the idea of, sitting someone down in a room and talking about events that have already happened in a documentary. You know what I mean? Just sort of like reflecting on something versus seeing it happen up close. And once again, we should mention like the kind of the resolution of this movie is that one of the, one of the picketers gets killed and within the next two days, they come to an agreement after that blood has been shed.
1: Yeah. I think, I think
0: honestly, I think one of the challenges that
1: would prevent this from happening today is national media like th- this happening in 1976 would have been probably mentioned in like a sub paragraph on most newspapers. And then that's like kind of it. Yeah. Whereas, and, and, and that doesn't carry quite as a political charge versus anything now because of national media and because of like instant coverage, you're going to have like a political charge depending upon who's involved, who's on what side, whatever.
0: I think that's a really important point because I think that like, we've become like very like glued to the news over the past couple of years. I know I have at least, and it's easy to brush stories off, but like it's easy to brush the news off, right? Because you do become desensitized to it. But that's what I think the power is of like, of, of movies and of documentaries is that you can really like immerse yourself into a specific story And you can meet the people and you can really like have that story resonate with you for two hours because um, you see the people and you hear their opinions and you hear people speaking. And um, I think that that is sometimes like a fault of trying to like see the bigger picture, right? Like we want to focus on like presidential politics and like the Senate and stuff versus like what's happening in our own backyards. And uh, those stories – might affect us even more and they also uh can be extremely compelling but we're just drawn to the we're drawn to the big picture we want to talk about we want to be hillbilly elegy right we want to like we want to talk about how did this happen to our country and it's like well you know things happen based on the actions of individuals in real communities and that's what a movie like harlan county can can kind of show you
1: right and i mean it's it's also to do with availability now so Back then, like there would be five movies in a movie theater and you would pick one and you would you would watch it. And if you disagreed with it, you disagreed with it. If you didn't, you didn't like whatever. But now it's it's, you know, if if I made a Black Lives Matter documentary in the same vein, it likely wouldn't be put in a movie theater. It would be on streaming service somewhere. Mm. And someone would have to make the deliberate choice because they have. Like literally, like millions, thousands, whatever options. Yeah, yeah. And so, if someone doesn't agree with it, they're just not going to watch it. Right. And so, it, it will kind of be labeled with a rudimentary, you know, it's this take or that take, a political label. agenda
0: of some sort. Yeah, or, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so it, it just won't get circulated in all circles. It'll get circulated in, in the circles that like it Right. or like would would be biased towards it, but. Um, but now, I mean, it's, it's, you know, even like I've, I've said throughout this is that even the people that have the most interest in being pro union, I don't know, would watch a pro union documentary anymore.
0: Right. Right. For sure. It's it's, pro labor,
1: uh, maybe not pro union. (laughs)
0: it, 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 yeah, it, it becomes hard to like get out of your bubble and your ideas, I think. So like that is, that is an important part of actually showing the stories that are happening to real people. So. Um, cool. Well, Tyler, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate like y- your perspective on this, and um, I'm just glad I watched this movie because I I was really struck by it, and uh and like we'll probably be thinking about it for for a little while. So, um, thank you for writing writing your article. I will you know link it in the in the podcast. Everyone should go take a look if you haven't. Um, is spectacularly written. Love the love the <laughs> takes so uh thank you tyler and um you know we'll we we will talk again soon next time maybe we can explore something that has a little bit more explosions
1: i love a good explosion more
0: up more up your alley all right thanks and uh we will talk soon